0: Welcome to The League presents Bleak Spirit, a game about a destiny-laden wanderer in a crumbling land. My name is Chris Longhurst, my pronouns are he, him, and I can be found around the internet as Potato Cubed. I wrote Pig Smoke and some other odds and ends you've probably not heard of, and Bleak Spirit is my latest undertaking. With me tonight are... Hi, I'm Becky Annison. My pronouns
1: are she, her. You can find me around the internet as Becky Anderson. Um And I wrote Lovecraft-esque, When the Dark is Gone, and uh, most recently, Bite Me.
2: And I'm Josh Fox. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Uh, you can find me around the internet as Rav Elias, but just look for Josh Fox, it's probably easier. Um, I co-wrote Lovecraft-esque with Becky, and I'm also the author of Flotsam Adrift Amongst the Stars. Uh, you should also check out our website com.
0: Alright, uh, just to be clear Becky and Josh this Bleak Spirit is built on Lovecraft-esque so I'm playing the game which I have made based off the framework of the game which they have made so this isn't like a terrifying exam at all It's it's appended by the esque,
2: Chris that's the official <laughs>
0: <laughs> a Bleak Spirit-esque
2: Uh, I guess it'd be Dark Souls-esque, but, you know, whatever. Yeah,
0: I think it's a little too on the nose, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, I wrote a teaching guide, so ideally, if it works as intended, we should just be able to jump right in. Uh, I am the facilitator. Uh, We're going to use this teaching guide to help us (laughs) learn the game. We'll read it out section by section as we play so that we're not trying to learn all the rules in one go. If you've got questions, go ahead and ask, but don't worry if in the early scenes you aren't sure how things are going to work later. We'll get to that. Uh, Then I hand this to the player to my left, which according to my document is... Becky, do you have the book open, or the PDF open, and are you able to open it on your computer? I'll just keep going, shall I? I've got it. (laughs) Okay, Josh, you're going to pick up...
2: This is a storytelling game to describe a lone wanderer amid a foreboding, melancholy landscape, the great destiny they bear, and how that unfolds when they confront their adversary. We're going to take turns revealing lore about the world or the adversary, and after each scene we'll privately leap to conclusions about what the real truth might be. When it's your turn to reveal lore, your conclusions will steer your contributions to the story. In the end, one of us will weave everything together into a climactic finale.
0: Each scene, one of us will play the Wanderer, one will play the World, and the rest of us will be the Chorus. The roles of World and Wanderer move to a new player after each scene, so everyone's going to get a turn. The Wanderer is the main character, a mighty adventurer who has come to this place following a particular destiny. When we play the Wanderer, we do not describe their thoughts or feelings, only their actions. The world frames scenes, reveals lore, describes the people, places and events that the wanderer encounters and controls how they respond to the wanderer's actions. The chorus help the world by adding atmosphere and details and by playing secondary characters if the world needs them to do so.
2: Before we start, we should all have a clear idea of the kind of story we want to tell. The game is set in a world of swords and sorcery, amidst the ruins of former greatness. There may be great civilizations elsewhere in the world, but here, where the story takes place, there is only faded grandeur and melancholy reminders of what went before, populated by dangerous creatures and xenophobic remnants of former inhabitants. The few talkative souls who come to this locale are eccentric creatures, focused on their own thoughts above all else. They may prove useful allies or bitter enemies.
0: This is a world where morality is decidedly grey. The easy path is always the soft lie or the timely betrayal. Altruism is a quick route to self-destruction or exploitation by the more cynical. There are heroes in this world yet, the Wanderer may even be one, but they're a tragic breed. This is a world where information never comes easily. Other people keep their cards close to their chests, revealing only what they want you to know. Scrawled graffiti (coughs) offers clues to what happened here. Loose pages torn from ancient tomes give cryptic descriptions of the adversary's origins and nature. And yet, this is a world where beauty still lingers. Amid the ruins, the grime and the corruption, there remain places of breathtaking wonder and people who will gladly take the suffering of others onto their own shoulders. These moments are all the more precious for their rarity, but we'll probably see at least one. Role-playing games are, by their nature, unpredictable, and that's part of the fun, but it means that without little care stories can go to places that we don't want, so we've got a couple of rules to help us keep a course that we all like. First of all is the ban list. If you know up front that there are topics which you don't want to see, we're all going to take a few minutes to write them down. These could be things which you don't want to come up because they make you uncomfortable, things you don't want to deal with right now, or just topics and themes you're bored of and don't want to see. I've put a ban list in our Google document. I've started it with two things I don't particularly want to see. Uh, Violence against minors, which I don't really want to deal with, and um, Cthulhu, because... I think Cthulhu's a bit played out, to be honest. I would like some original horror, if that's what it's going to be.
1: Like Cthulhu, can I just clarify? Um sure. Do you mean the entirety of Lovecraftian Mythos, or
0: just Cthulhu? Uh, I mean all of Lovecraftian stuff, <coughs> really. Unless it's bizarre enough to kind of get past... So basically, if you can sneak a reference past my understanding of it, then it's probably warped enough that it's fine.
1: No, it's on the banned list, don't don't try and...
0: That's true, don't. I've just undermined my yeah. own uh, point. Yeah, forget I said that. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Um, I will add two things to your list, if that's okay.
0: Sure thing. Uh,
1: I'll add sexual assault. That's going on. And I'd like to add child abandonment.
0: That is a good addition.
2: I don't think this is going to be necessary, but I usually add torture as well. Alright. can't see that coming up in this game. Anyway.
0: Is that um, actual... does that include, like, torture equipment,
2: or...? Uh, No, just actual torture. Just the
0: act of it. Okay. Sure. Alright. We'll cut that out. Okay. These items are the ban list. Uh, Everyone needs to know what's on the ban list, uh, because as far as the game is concerned, these things will not happen. If it looks like the story is heading in the direction of one of these elements, anyone can call a halt. And we'll find a new way to go from where we are, or rewind far enough that an alternative path appears. The second rule is the X card, which we are familiar with, but I'll keep going because other people might not be. Uh, normally, you draw an X on an index card if you're playing in person, and when the story goes somewhere you don't want it to, whether it's written on the ban list or something you just decide in the moment that you just don't want to deal with, that you just know, you tap the X card or wave it or say X card or make an X, and then everyone stops what they're doing. Uh, over, yeah, overhangouts, uh, big X with the arms, or some sort of verbal recognition, something. Um, we, Once things have been stopped, uh, maybe we can steer the scene in a different direction and it's fine, or maybe we need to stop altogether. It depends on the person and why they've stopped things. Different people handle things in different ways, and the top priority is always the comfort of the people playing. Uh, thank you for helping me with this. I've written one scenario. Shall we use that one, or come up with something fresh? Uh, I'd love
1: to do a scenario. Yeah, I the scenario Okay. Good. Everybody's <laughs> get into it fast.
0: We're going to start by establishing the jumping-off point for our story, which is established in the scenario we're using. Um, we should also agree the general tone, duration, and stakes of the game. Um, the tone is generally kind of bleak fantasy, as described above. You can change that up if you want to do something different. Um, I'm inclined to go with the default for now. Um, duration, you can play this over multiple sessions. Again, I'm inclined to just go with a one-shot for the time being, which we'll probably still end up playing over two sessions, but just one adventure. And the stakes is a thing in Bleak Spirit where either you have the world and the wanderer, and either can You can limit the amount of change either can experience. So you can have four basic sets of stakes. There's one where the Wanderer just kind of wanders through. They don't change, the world's not going to change, it's just a kind of story, a chapter in their life. Um, You can have one where the Wanderer's not going to change, but they're going to have potentially massive impact on the world around them. You can have one where the Wanderer just kind of throws themselves at an unchanging world and breaks in the process, or you can have a sort of big climactic encounter uh, where everything is at stake, the Wanderer may die, the world may be destroyed, etc, etc. The default um, stakes are what I call Passing Through, which is, <coughs> let me make sure I've got this right, the Wanderer is guaranteed to survive in Passing Through. Um, and while there will definitely be changes in the setting, the changes are localized. So, the particular bit of the setting we're looking at may undergo fairly heavy changes, but the world at large isn't about to collapse into a singularity or anything. This is meant—pull the curtain back a bit. This is meant to simulate kind of like an area in a Souls-type game, where you have a very distinct set of things happening, and maybe you'll make a big change when you murder the boss. Or maybe you won't. Maybe you'll just wander on through and go on to do other things. Sounds cool to me. Okay, that's good because I'm feel like I'm waffling a bit. Uh, do, do, do. Then the facilitator, i.e., me, should read out the details of the scenario we're using, wanderer, other characters, area, and setting, and locations. I'll do that as soon as I can successfully type 29 into this page thing. Right. The scenario is Um Our Wanderer is a woman called Opal. She is a sorcerer, assassin of the Silver Hand. She's come to CareBris from the sunbaked lands of the surface. Her style is practical. Grey and, glo- and brown clothes with plentiful pockets and pouches. Two knives for murderer and sorcery of shadow and moonlight. Her trinket is a plain gold ring on a chain around her neck. Her behaviour is professional, and she derives her power from her extensive training. These are all things that, in a sort of custom game, you decide for yourself. Uh, Style, trinket, behaviour, and the source of the Wanderer's power. Um, There are some other characters who may or may not appear, but they're there to give you an example of the sort of NPCs that might be here. Uh, Ignatia is an ex-priestess who has come here to gloat over the corpses of those who once were gods. Her healing magic is potent, but she has no time for glory seekers or those who seek the secrets locked in divine tombs. Uh, Joseph is a swashbuckling monster hunter from Far Lanoa who has come to Kerbris to slay some unspecified prey. Despite his easygoing demeanour, he holds others to exacting standards. It's remarkably easy to find oneself self-deemed a monster who Joseph will hunt. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Wormheart is one of the undead, although somehow still in possession of its full faculties. It scavenges the ruins and will trade what it finds for items that you have no use for. But can you trust it? Uh, Finally, Siento is never seen, only ever speaking from the other side of a wall or hidden in the shadows. He offers secrets and guidance, but seems prone to strange seizures and spasms. Who is this mysterious assistant? What is he, and why is he helping you? The area overall is the sunken city of Kerbris, a place where dead gods of the deep rest uneasy. Water flows through its abandoned streets and pools and its sunken cellars, and things lurk in the depths, sustained by their proximity to crumbling divinity. And I can hear an echo. Ah, that'll be why. Right. Um, there are four predetermined locations. Uh, the clock tower at the centre of the city is a landmark visible from almost everywhere within the care. Uh, a needle of golden glass at odds with the rest of the city's crumbling stone construction. The hands of the clock still move, but they count unknown hours. Morticians Row is a cramped and claustrophobic tangle of streets and shop fronts where undertakers and embalmers used to promote their services. Now only the dead occupy this place, lurching and shambling after the warmth of living visitors. The rooftops offer some peace and quiet, and relatively simple transit around the flooded city, but they're not safe. Something lurks even here, never quite in plain view, and all it takes is a single distracted misstep to send you plummeting to the street below. And a shattered tomb used to be just another resting place for a Leviathan god, but some geological force has cracked it open. Undying cultists and fiendish traps protect enchanted treasures within, and beyond them the tomb itself, out of which constantly seeps a corrupting miasma. And there's some sample special cards. Uh, which are particularly suitable for this, but since I randomly generated us some special cards already... I'll not bother with those. And some sample lore as well, if you feel like you need a bit of a hint. So can
1: I just clarify what lore Certainly.
0: is in this game? Lore is... every scene has a piece of lore in it. Uh, and a piece of lore is a clue as to what this place used to what this area used to be, okay. uh, what the adversary is and how the two are linked. Um there's like there's as it goes I go there's a bit more detail Sorry. later. Oh, it's fine. Fine. There's <laughs> a bit erect the stars, there's asked questions. Mm-hmm. It's fine to jump ahead. Um I just have to remind myself not to describe it in terms of oh, it's like a clue in Lovecraft desk. It's like that doesn't mm-hmm. help anyone listening. Anyway, having read all of that, I've lost my place. It feels a little bit like
1: the um, the lore feels a little bit like... Have you seen Sapphire and Steel? I've, I'm familiar with it. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. Oh, okay. Well, Sapphire and Steel is a very old, ancient TV show, but part of it is them piecing together little bits of information they find to find out what's gone wrong with time.
2: It is weird shit. Yep,
0: yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Yeah, so I've read out all that stuff, now i do some more reading. I should really hand this off to someone else at some point. Anyway. We're nearly ready to begin our tale. The first scene has to contain some piece of lore which hints at the truth of the area or the powerful adversary who haunts it. If anyone has a good idea for this lore, don't say anything yet. But you can play the world for the first scene. At the end of each scene, we'll pass our role, world wanderer, or chorus to the left, so everyone's going to get a turn at every role. So I need a volunteer to take first turn as the world.
2: So, um, uh, can I? It's uh, you. You described the the tone. Oh no, the stakes as wandering through. Yeah. And is that that's the basic deal here? Is it Opal is just. Travelling through this area, there's no no particular she's, purpose.
0: She's on her way to somewhere else. If she has a purpose, maybe it'll be revealed, maybe it won't. It's it's all quite oblique. Oblique? Opaque? One of those two.
2: <laughs> and, uh, so, having read the part of the rules, um, I know that there are three types of scene. Mm-hmm. Do, does it matter? Do we have to pick one?
0: You will if you're gonna be the world. When you're the world you choose a type of scene uh, and you kind of plant the law within it. The wanderer experiences the scene, discovers the law. Okay. And then the role passes on. I've got something, I'll have a go. Excellent. <laughs> well done, volunteer. I will add that note to the list of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't have a monitor big enough for this. I've got too many windows open. You need more than one monitor. Yeah, um that would require a bigger desk.
1: You know Terry Pratchett had six monitors because he didn't have enough room on his desk for eight, he said.
0: <laughs> yeah, I need a, a second monitor which requires a bigger desk, which would require a bigger living room. And after that you're on you're on a slippery slope yeah, there. Just
2: a just dig slope. um dig yourself a basement. You can make them as big as you like. Just keep going down.
0: Well, we're on the first floor. If I dig myself a basement, I'll be in Simon's living room.
2: That Doesn't seem unreasonable to me. <laughs> I forgot where I was again. Um. I have to choose a. Yes,
0: you. you'd, you'd volunteer to be the world. Yeah. So you get to read the next bit. Ooh, oh,
2: God, exciting. Yep. Uh, now I have to find it somehow.
0: Uh, if you do a search for end branch B. It's just below that.
2: Uh, But I'm so close to it now that I can't be bothered to do that. Uh, Here we are. The world is like the author of a book, except they don't get to control the actions of the wanderer. The world chooses where a scene is set, who or what is present and whether the scene focuses on danger, interaction or a feature of the setting. The world describes how the other inhabitants of the setting act and plays any talking characters like an actor in a film or play. The world should bring the chorus in by pausing often to allow them to contribute details and elaborations, asking them questions and building on the answers. Finally, the world chooses when to end the scene.
0: Ok, I'll be the Wanderer to start with. Uh, The Wanderer is the main character and is in every scene. When it's your turn to play the Wanderer, you speak for them, again, like you're playing them in a film or play, and describe their actions. But it's the world's job to tell you the results of those actions. Pay special attention to the Wanderer's mannerisms and expressions, because the Wanderer is a cipher. We're never aware of their internal monologue or their true nature. And then Becky's going to be the chorus. Have you got the PDF open, or is your computer struggling? I do you have a PDF open, but I don't know what page... Thirty-four, I think. If you jump to page thirty-four, the bit where it says chorus is where you come in. World
1: the Wanderer of the World. Chorus. Everyone else plays the chorus. The chorus support the world in a number of ways, primarily by adding sensory descriptions and elaborating on whatever the world describes. We don't take over the scene, introduce lore, or do anything that would change the direction of the story. Instead, we try to reinforce the atmosphere which the world is trying to create. In addition, when the world asks us questions, we provide answers. Top-of-the-head answers, not considered ones. Finally, if the Wanderer ends up in conversation with multiple people, we will play secondary characters so the world doesn't end up talking to themselves.
2: During the first two parts of the game, scenes are focused on discovering lore. During every scene, the world will reveal one piece of lore. Lore is information either about the area itself or about the adversary, the powerful threat which dominates it. Lore can be anything, scrawled graffiti, clues or theories dropped by other characters, a powerful odour, a particular symbol or manifestation, a powerful vision, anything that stands out as significantly strange against the backdrop of the world we create. Something to remember when introducing lore is that in the game of Bleak Spirit, knowledge is never straightforward. Lore does not reveal information but hints at it in a cryptic and arcane manner. Also bear in mind that we can add in bits of atmospheric detail, as the world or the chorus, without making them lore, and we can reuse old lore freely. When lore is introduced we write the details down on an index card. Whatever we write down on those cards will help us create the adversary at the end of the game. And the
0: last thing before we start are special cards. Shall we use special cards?
2: Or not for this first one? Uh, I'm very happy to, but I'm not sure where you've put them.
0: (laughs) Um, I've put everyone's in its own little document. Uh, I'll keep reading because I've written a whole load of stuff for me to say now. The last thing before we start are special cards. Everyone gets one, and we play them at appropriate times to change the rules of the game in ways specified on the cards. You don't have to use yours if you don't want to, but if you see the perfect moment, play it. Now, the world will frame the first scene. They have a choice of a danger scene, an interaction scene, or a feature scene. A danger scene features some peril the wanderer will overcome and asks us what it costs them. An interaction scene features one of the strange people who live in this world, and a feature scene is a moment of peace wherein the wanderer can explore and examine the surroundings freely. If the world frames a danger scene, then at the appropriate time they and the chorus will suggest a price each which the wanderer might pay to overcome the obstacle. The wanderer will choose one. If the world frames an interaction scene, then they will create or reuse a character for the wanderer to interact with. Depending on how the conversation goes, an interaction scene may become a danger scene, but that's fine because it just plays out like a danger scene from there. And if the world frames a feature scene, that's an opportunity for them and the chorus to get stuck into a detailed description of the location. And then we start. Josh has a scene to frame. So do I, do and... I say
2: what kind of scene it is, straight off?
0: Yes. I don't think I've actually written that down anywhere, but...
2: Okay. Um so I think I am going for a danger scene. Alright. And um so Opal mm-hmm. you are you are, are passing over the rooftops of Carebris. Um so these are um sloping stone surfaces. They're they're unfathomably ancient, pitted with holes and uh, covered in a light dusting of grasses and other weeds. It's uh, an overcast day. The sun is just sort of visible as a one watery disk in the sky. Um, and you're making slow progress moving over the rooftops because each little bit of the uh, rooftops is is kind of like a, a passageway through a maze but, but um, without the benefit of the walls um, to guide you. You end up following your way to dead ends, having to double back.
1: I think that your feet kick up a dust from the roofs which smells musty and decayed.
2: Now, Kerberos is flooded, and so every so often you'll come to what for you is a dead end, but for the ancient city was presumably a thoroughfare passageway um, filled with water. Uh, It's quite beautiful. There are occasional bits of statuary protruding from the water or an island where some dais or public square sits slightly above the level of the water, and occasionally you see trees and other uh, beautiful things in any case um you've made it onto the roof of this sprawling building um much much bigger roof than. other ones you've been walking along and uh, for a time there's less athleticism required you've been having to make some quite hairy jumps from building to building to make progress but now you can just sort of walk and you're about halfway across the roof um a long grassy expanse on either side of you in all directions when there's a sort of um, scratching sound. It's I say a scratching sound. A scratching sound makes it sound small. It's it's more of a sort of scraping uh, as of two surfaces against each other.
0: Opal's oh, got a knife in her hand straight away. Like the moment. She hears that noise, She's she crouches and scans the grasses, looking for whatever might have made that sound, or a hint of motion.
2: The city is eerily still, and it has been the whole time you've been here, Um, not even a bird, uh, song, or insect to rate the monotony. And that is true now as well. And for a moment, it's silent and you begin to wonder whether... Oh, I'm not supposed to say things about your inner state, am I?
0: Yeah, you just tell me what the world's doing, and I'll tell you what Opal does in response.
2: Alright, well, there there is a gap, and an observer might wonder whether the (laughs) Um, whether the sound had happened at all and then suddenly it happens again and again and again a sort of series of (laughs) loud, jarring, scraping sounds, they feel that that's really, really close to you but you can see nothing at all
0: Okay This is a Big flat rooftop, right, with grasses growing on it.
2: Yeah, and I there's... reckon it has a very slight slope, so it does come to a peak. Um, but it's, uh, unlike some of the other roofs where the the, the slope is quite acute, here it's, it's shallow.
0: Okay. Opal can't see what's happening. She takes off at a run, up the slope of the roof, um, towards the towards the the, the peak of it, um, staying as low as she can, but she's mostly focused on speed. Okay.
2: Um, the noises seem to pursue, and they get quite in in a relatively short space of time. They get close, and then on top of where she is, whatever it is, it must be right there. But again you can't see anything and then suddenly this massive metal spike comes shooting out of the floor in front of you just like blocking your way um, with uh, a kind of grasping uh, claw thing on the end it looks like it's made out of brass or something of that sort
1: Throws up a huge cloud of dust, which is almost blinding.
0: Opal doesn't stop. She... The spike comes up in front of her, and she twists to move around it, and keep going. Okay, well, another one
2: appears, and then another. Uh, It's like trying to run through uh, a lightning storm. she's heading for the edge of the roof
0: um she's going to she twists between the spikes as best she can trying to yeah she's she's aiming for the edge of the roof to find somewhere to find a different building
2: okay how do we resolve this
0: <laughs> uh that is up to the world how do you want things to resolve if you if you want to suggest a price that she can pay to um get to the next scene or yeah. You you and the chorus each suggest a price that she will have to that she should pay in order to move on from here. Um Okay. And then I as Opal will choose which one I would
2: rather. Okay, well I would like to progress I... the danger a little bit more before we do that, if that's Certainly. okay. Go for it. So you're you're weaving, you're ducking uh, turning to the side, and then one of the sp- spikes comes up almost on top of you, and the, uh, the, the the spot that you're standing on crumbles away, as it does so, so that you fall through the floor and land on the massive brass body of this enormous arthropod whose legs have been punching through the ceiling of the building you're now in this vast open space dark lit only by light coming through the holes that this creature's uh, legs have made and down below you is dark dark water Uh, His clashing jaws are really quite close at hand.
0: Is there any... does it seem wholly mechanical, or is there any kind of biological
2: part to it? Uh, Good question. Hard to tell in the light, but it looks and sounds mechanical.
0: And it's—is it floating in the water or? Oh, oh
2: no, sorry, I should have made that clearer. Um, so it's lo- like a uh, spider, which is what it most closely resembles. It is hanging from the ceiling.
0: Ah, of right
2: the room, and you're just—I don't know—lucky or not depends how you look at it—that you happen to have something to stand on, which is its body.
0: Right. Opal already has a knife handy. She will sever the strands that it's ho- that uh, that are holding this thing up. I'm I'm assuming it's hanging from the ceiling on like webbing of some kind. Uh,
2: no, I think it's or... just it's just like no, using just its, its limbs.
0: Its, its limbs, yeah. Then she'll go for those. Okay. She'll get a knife into the joints of the nearest limb and twist
2: to try and dislodge it. Okay, I think we're probably at the stakes point now, like Mm -hmm. um, you're basically fighting this thing, right? Yep. So I suggest that the stakes are you you lose your ability to travel on the rooftops as you are plunged into the water and you also lose your bearings as you will travel some distance before you're able to find dry land again. Uh, but the creature will either be driven off or, or perhaps fall into the water and sink, presumably, since it's made out of metal.
1: I get sets and stakes as well, don't I? Is
0: yes. This instead of what I suggest. It's, it, basically, you each, you each set um, a price and then I choose which one is going to pay. Great.
1: So I'm going to choose that in popping out its limbs you can um, uh, completely um, disable it because this is kind of ancient technology that is kind of on its last legs anyway. Ho ho ho. But in its dying throes you will take a mechanical spider bite um, which will inject you with something we'll find out later what it does.
0: Oh, I like both of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to choose the mechanical spider bite. Yeah! yeah! Because I like how that's going to loom
2: over future stuff. <laughs> Alright. So is that, is, okay. that is that the end of the scene? I think it might be. Uh,
0: if you want to yeah, if you want to narrate... Um, well, we have already got some narration of Opal sort of like prized the thing free of the ceiling. Presumably it
2: drops away and she catches hold of one of the holes it's made. Yeah, and as it, as it Hol- falls its giant jaws slam into your leg and briefly you feel like it's going to rip out your actual leg from its socket but... Whoops, sorry. Internal thought process there. <laughs> um, it's fine. But it doesn't... Uh, it, it, it's jaws open again and it plunges down into the water and leaping back up, pulling yourself back up through the hole. Um, you'll find yourself back in the, the one sunlight, leg bleeding heavily, and some sort of unpleasant looking hmm, silver venom visibly running through the blood. Okay. And causing your veins to kind of pulse in a slightly unpleasant, alive way. All right. Um,.
0: That's end of the scene. These are some harsh
2: stakes
0: for part one. Yeah, for for part one. (laughs) I'll be framing some...
2: That's fine, I'll be framing. Um, I think Chris chose it. Mind you, we all have to play this character now, Chris, for fuck's sake.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, what is the law that you put in that scene, just specifically? So, the
2: law is the brass spider. Okay. Brass...
0: Mechanical spider. With
2: cool cool, silvery venom now.
0: Yeah. Okay. The first scene's finished. After every scene, we've got a few things to do. First of all, while the scene is still fresh in our minds, we're going to leap to conclusions, which just means writing down what you think is really going on. What the real story behind this place is, who or what the adversary might be, and how they're linked. How the adversary... Yeah, is it responsible for the... the area? Is it, was it drawn to it by something? Uh, but yeah, you do that without discussing it with the other players. Everyone's ideas should come from them and them alone. So we'll spend a few moments doing that, and then I'll start waffling again in a minute. Second, if the Wanderer has been behaving in a consistent manner, we can add another behaviour to their index card. If you feel like Opal has been characterised in a particular way other than professional. I wouldn't say so yet.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: doesn't like Um, (laughs) spiders. Third, if we've learned anything about the area or the location, you note that down on the relative index cards.
2: don't think we have really. Nothing we didn't already know from the scenario. Yeah, basically.
0: Uh, fourth, everyone's still feeling good about what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Everyone good? I see Josh nodding. All right. Uh, and then after that, we pass the roll cards to the left. Or in this case, I just move everyone's roll up one. That's not how you spell chorus. And then, I'm going to be the world next. Becky's the Wanderer, Josh is the chorus. Oh, uh,
1: You're right, Josh. I've backed myself into a corner here, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: And then, I need to take a moment to work out what I'm going to do with this next scene. Which I'm going to do by looking at... ...the list of locations and other such stuff. Okay, I think I've got something. Right. Um. You've headed... You've taken a detour. You know that... The wound in your leg is pretty bad. The poison's spreading. And what first aid you've got can slow it down, but probably not halt it. But if there's going to be any medical supplies in this abandoned place, they're going to be in Mortician's Row. Along with all the undead. But at least the undead are a direct threat, I guess. Um, So, you take a detour across the rooftops, down into one of the tall houses there. The sunlight is strange in this place because you can... everything here is dead and decayed just these old store signs hanging above the flooded street all of them advertising funeral services embalming various chemicals and as you Drop You swing yourself down through a window into the top floor of one of these tall houses. Because you think you can get down into a into what used to be a uh, No, I don't think not. Ah uh, breaking <laughs> my own rules. Damn it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You swing yourself down to the top floor of one of these houses. And as you do so, you interrupt um it's it looks like one of the ghouls that haunts this area. Its skin is leathery and pulled tight across its skeletal body, it's wearing just like a ragged loincloth and has a huge backpack full of stuff. And it looks up as you come in. And holds up one hand.
2: Sorry? I was just gonna chorus. Um Go for it. The, the ghoul has long, uh, scraggly, grey hair that kind of has that look of a of a corpse. You know, the, the hair the hair keeps growing, the toenails keep growing. Um, it, it's just unkempt and obscene.
0: Okay, the. The creature holds up one hand as you come in and sort of gurgles something. And then it clears its throat, it coughs and hacks and chokes. Holds up its hand again and says, Have you come to trade? In a much more cracked voice than I can manage. I'm not good at voices. I think I need to do
1: it at the moment with my cold. It would be very,
0: (laughs) very effective. But, uh... Um, Yeah, I think having you voice the NPC is a bit more meta than I want to go with this one. That's fair enough, that's fair enough. Um, And Opal will say... I need
1: medical goods. Supplies, what do you need?
0: Oh... I need... trinkets. Things of use. It sort of looks out of the window, sort of past you, sort of staring off into the middle distance um it's only got one eye but uh the other one's absent the
2: so, i think we all need a way out one way or another the creature's one remaining eye has a calculating gleam and it keeps sort of darting around falling on your knife your pockets your various pockets that can see there's something around your neck so I'm eyeing you up sort of
0: looks like
2: yeah it uh
0: it stares it yeah it sort of says i i can supply well not medicine but perhaps things that will keep you alive or otherwise mobile It's so, hee- 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 giggles <laughs> to itself and the grand tradition of Dark Souls NPCs um, But it said, what? What would you give me? Something something useful, something potent something with the aroma of the past to it
1: have a ring it's important but my life is more important and she'll take out the ring from around her neck and sort of slightly like dangle it in front of his face a bit to kind of gauge his reactions you know like if, if you were kind of wafting a Delicious meal in front of somebody who was hungry
0: to see oh, how he responds. It, his eye follows it. He sort of he doesn't he doesn't make to grab it. But you can see his fingers twitching.
2: And his tongue. He has this long sort of leathery tongue which kind of licks around his, his lips nervously. As for that I'll give you the best I've got. Well,
1: tell me what it is, and I'll decide if I think it's good enough.
0: He sort of heaves his backpack off and like drops it with a thud, rummages through it, and pulls out like a jar of this black oily paste um and He unscrews it, and you can see there's not there's not very much left in the jar. it's almost all gone. he goes this this is the water of life." I stole it, you know, from the funnels and the conduits. He sort of glances out the window again. um, He says, I'll give you this for the ring. It'll keep you going for now. But I think with a wound like that, you'll want to find the source.
1: The source of the
0: elixir of life, you mean? It's all funneled towards the clock tower. I don't know why I don't dare go there. Well, but perhaps if you go there, you can bring me back <coughs> something even more special. <laughs> well, if I do, then we
1: can trade again.
0: I'll be around.
1: All right, you have a deal.
0: All right. E- he sort of snatches the ring, hands you the jar of stuff.
1: I take the jar of stuff, and then I grab him by his jacket and say, "If this doesn't work, the last thing I will do is come back and relieve you of the burden of your life."
0: Oh, I was relieved of that burden many years ago. Hehehehehehe. <laughs> <laughs> so let oh. him go. All right. And that is a scene. So nice and brief. The law the there is that the the water of life, this black paste, is being funneled to the clock tower.